Chapter 4 The Tingling, the Sparking Past Gom became aware of light on his eyelids. Also, that he was still holding tightly to Haga's hand. How long they had been thus, he had no idea. He had no sense of time passing at all. Haga gently disengaged herself. We're here! Gom opened his eyes onto thick, milky haze. He breathed it up, smelled moist earth and moss. Seemed real? He scuffed the dirt under his boots. Felt real. Just as Haga had said, he'd swear he really was here between the High Varg and the Eastern Ocean off the edge of Carrick's map, hundreds of miles from the Dunderfoss and not still sitting by Haga's stove. Haga was eyeing him with amusement, but didn't say, I told you so. Gom became aware of an unnatural silence. No sound of bird, of wind, of anything. He cleared his throat, and the sound came out thin and without echo. What now? We wait for Jastra, Haga said. Jastra? That must be the Spinrather. Gom peered through the mist, expecting to see at any moment this Jastra looming out of it to greet them. Keeping close to Haga, Gom crossed his arms tight over his chest, although it wasn't cold, and took to wondering what manner of person this was who lived beyond the stars. Ah, Haga said suddenly, it looks as though we're to go up. The mist divided, forming a narrow gap, clear path through the thick white vapour. And there before them, without pillar, post or handrail, a shining crystal stair curved up into the heights. They were to climb that? Some test of nerve. Like the Onda's bridge, he murmured. Yes, save there's no boiling mud below it, nor can you fall, since you're not here in body, remember that. Come on, keep close. Haga set her foot on the bottom step, invisible in the mist but for its shine, so that it looked as though Haga was holding her foot in the air. Gone, his middle churning, remembered Haga's warning about the Onda's bridge. She'd been right. The idea of climbing that stair bothered him. Above his head by now, Haga stopped, looking down. Come! 
he started up. One step. Two. The stair was narrow, scarcely wider than his two feet. The toe of his boot caught the edge of a step with a loud crack, and his middle churned some more. Gom went higher. Looking down, he saw only a faint gleam of light on the edge of each step, curving away toward the ground. He looked up, saw his mother's back fading into the mist. Haga! Gom almost fell, as the voice, a man's, sounded close by. Haga stopped. Jastra. She half glanced back to Gom, uncertainly. Go back, Haga. Let the boy come on alone. Alone? Haga looked shocked. But Jastra, you said please. She turned about with great care on her narrow step, and looked down. Her face set. Don't be afraid, Gom. Remember that whatever happens, you're not really here, but still at home, sitting with me by the stove. She glanced up again, then leaned down, frowning slightly. I hadn't reckoned. She vanished. Mother! Gom teetered, snatched for a non-existent rail, and almost fell. How far? He began to tremble. Slowly, fearfully, he lowered himself and sat, unable to move another step on that dizzy skybridge, up or down. Let the boy come on alone. He sought the rune. It wasn't there. Let the boy come on alone. How could this Jastra do such a cruel thing? He took a deep breath to shout. A mistake, for it only set his head spinning and dark flecks flowering silently before him. Carefully, Gom let the breath out. But his anger grew, mixed with fear. This Jastra had dismissed his mother, and when she'd delayed, had plucked her from the stair. Was he more powerful than she? It seemed like it, and yet she'd clearly trusted him, had urged Gom not to fear. He stood up cautiously. He must go on. The appeal in her eyes had been quite plain. But this stair! How high was it? How much farther must he climb into the mist? His head began to spin again. Air wafted against his ears like puffs of wind. He swayed, caught his balance. What if he lost consciousness? Gom summoned all his nerve and went on up 
with new resolve. Suddenly, the stair ended, and wide crystal floor was under him, solid and thick, like ice on a winter pond. A narrow passage stretched before him, a glass tunnel lit with milky light. All at once, a single high note shrilled, setting the air singing, making his skin prickle. The echoes died, leaving utter silence. Hello! he shouted. No reply. Shrugging, he moved on, conscious of his boots' loud crunch in the quiet. Reaching the end of the passage, Gom turned the corner and halted in wonder. The space ahead was bounded by mist and filled with light. There were no walls, no roof that he could see, only the glassy floor spreading out into the mist, and yet he sensed that he was inside. In the centre of that sky hall stood a tree, ancient as any in the Dunderfoss. Its trunk, wide as six men in a ring, soared up, up, up. Gom tilted his head back, squeezed his eyes shut against the dazzle. To what height he could not guess. From the tree's base, roots thick as Gom's whole body curled out like serpent into round crystal pools each with a fountain that sent sprays of sparkling mist high into the air. Gom approached, perplexed. Trees were of the soil. With each passing year, their roots thrust themselves deeper into the earth, even as their branches reached to greater heights. So what was this ancient magnificence doing floating in the sky? He leaned over the nearest fountain, trying vainly to judge its depth, then looked around, the puzzle growing. There was about it all, roots, pools, even tree trunk itself, altogether too much of a regular pattern. He fished in his back pocket, took out his little wooden seed box, set it down as a marker by the fountain, then circled the base of the tree, pacing, counting, until he reached his starting place. Yes, he nodded, picking up the box, stowing it away. Regular pattern indeed there was. Twelve roots and twelve fountains, exactly twelve paces apart, in perfect circle around the tree. Surely no tree in all Ulm had such tidy roots. In fact, Gom looked the great trunk up and down. Not oak, 
not ash, not elm or hickory, not any tree of elm. Gom's eyes gleamed. The spin rather lived among the stars. Could this wonderful tree have come from out there? His fingers itched to touch the golden bark. But something, he couldn't explain what, held him back. He tilted his head. Way up, he now could see hazy branches curved out in graceful arc bearing shiny oval leaves such as he had never seen before. Looking up had not been wise. The dizziness was back. Truly, there was a strangeness in the air. Gom bent over, hung his head, bracing his hands on his knees, the dark grey patches bursting before his eyes, and this time there was a faint humming in his head. The giddiness passed. The dark patches disappeared. But the humming remained. A faint musical humming, just as he'd often fancied almost had come from his mother's room, with the faint tinkle of bells. He looked up and straightened slowly. Instead of the tree stood a shining crystal tower, broad like the tree, and sawing into the haze. Up and down inside its length ran fine silver wires that fizzed with tiny sparks. The glassy surface was pocked with small round holes in which tiny silver spheres jiggled about, making the bell sounds. And where branches had arched from the tree trunk sprang tufts of silver wires, nodding like delicate plumes, each tuft humming on a different note. From the base of the tower, hollow glass tubes piped the wires out and down into pits of blue fire that flashed and flickered silently. Gom stood still for quite a minute, totally entranced. Then he stirred himself and called, Hello? Then more loudly, Hello? The feathery tufts danced wildly, and the little silver spheres pealed like a cartload of bells cascading down a hillside. Echoes made intricate counterpoint through the high, hollow space, then faded. Without warning, the air trembled, and the whole tower shimmered as though it were under water. When the shimmering stopped, the tower was gone, and in its place the ancient tree reappeared, and its twelve roots, and their dancing fountains, and the air was filled with spray. A beam of light suddenly shone from the heights of the tree, forming a pool of radiance on the floor before him. And in that pool, the shape of a man 
began to form. He was tall and lean, with strong jaw, broad straight nose and wide full mouth. His eyes were dark, deep-set, and deep-shadowed under the brilliant light. His black hair tipped with silver and hanging in thick strands about his shoulders was caught at the brow by a fine crystal band set with a clear stone, big as a thrush's egg, that flashed in the light. The man looked tired, and, it seemed to Gom, sad, even dispirited. His dark grey tunic was stained as Gom's, and torn at the shoulder, and his black thigh boots were much scuffed and spattered with mud. He bowed gravely. Lord Jastra, guardian of the Tamarith of Bayon, greets you, Haga's son. Lord Jastra? The man looked more bedraggled than any tinker or peddler Gom had met on the Penlangoth road. What do you want? Gom demanded. Then, realizing how blunt that sounded, changed his tack before Jastra could reply. My mother thought that we would be speaking all together. Jastra closed his eyes in acknowledgement. As we had planned. But things changed. The spin rather folded his arms. You know why you are here? Gon hesitated. Those sharp eyes seemed to see right through him, made him feel small and self-important and foolish. He had a sudden notion he was here for this Jastra to look him over, and that somehow Alm's fate was closely connected to this man. Jastra was beginning to frown. What should he say? Katak, I think, he said quickly. The frown remained. How was your journey up the stair, young man? I've known better, Gom retorted, then bit his tongue. But to his surprise, Jastra's face cleared. If you'd fallen, there'd have been no real harm, you know. So my mother claimed, Gom said, and added he couldn't help it, for the man was still rattling him. Much comfort that was. And yet still you kept climbing, Jastra murmured. He sighed and bent his head, his face looking suddenly haggard under the light beam. His form began to shimmer, to grow transparent. He looked up, squared his shoulders, and his shape, steadied, grew solid again. Why, you're no more real than I am, Gom cried. Jastra was here in much the same way as he and Haga had come by means of her crystal sphere, except perhaps that Jastra's appearance seemed more difficult. Jastra smiled. True, you and I are worlds apart. Yet by the power of the Tamarith I come here in spirit, just as you came here in spirit by virtue of your mother's power, and thus we may speak together a while. What is Tamarith? 
the tree of life. Gom gestured behind him. This is it. The name sounded fitting for such a majestic thing. Yes and no. The parent tree is in Bayon, my world. That yonder is a skian, yet real enough. Gom was aware suddenly of the floor they were standing on, suspended high above the ground. Is, is this place real? It is. This place and the tree and the stair, they are all real and will remain after we vanish. Only you and I are unreal. It is called Alamar. I am Alamar Jastra. And I, Alamar Gom. Again, the quick pleasure in Jastra's face, just as swiftly gone. Young man, this meeting is not a happy one. I need your mother urgently. Gom stared in dismay. But we've only just... he began, then looked up into the light beam arcing out from the heights of the tree. How far? To where I am? How... how long? Jastra looked grave. It could be long. Gom's middle went hollow. He tried to speak. Couldn't. I am truly sorry, Jastra said. Neither I nor Haga foresaw it. In fact, she still thinks that tomorrow you and she begin work together, but it is not to be. Why? Gom demanded. What do you want with her? Jastra thought a minute. I'll let your mother tell you that. It's to do with Katak. If only that were all. Anger flashed in Jastra's face was quickly controlled. The cunning one slipped our line. Even your mother had no idea of his coming. Had he breached this stair, it would have been disaster for us, total destruction for Alm. He dipped his head, and you stopped him, a callow, untried boy. Callow? Untried? Gom didn't know about that. Young man, Jastra went on, I see now how right your mother's thinking was to have a child. Thanks to you, Katak stays locked in his own spell until we may safely destroy him, which I'm afraid I can't yet do. Even with Hargis' help? Perhaps then, if I were to come to Ulm, and Haga and I stood together, combining our magic and our will, but know, young man, that there are two more like Katak loose among the realms, and it is more than I can do to contain them. That is why I cannot come, and why I call on your mother right now, for the struggle goes against us. Now this is the charge I lay upon you. While she is gone, you must work to become a wizard like Haga, as she intended. 
Gom slowly shook his head. Who would teach him, if not Haga? He could not believe she was leaving him. Leaving Arm. Is there danger for my mother? There is danger for us all, including you, if we should fail to hold the line. If this realm fall, your world follows. Arm fall. Haga had spoken of it, and now Jastra. Gom could not imagine it. He recalled the deathly cold of Katak's touch, the evil of the hollow eyes. If Katak gained power over Alm, it would mean the end of all ordinary living, of Hilsa and Stuck, and Hort and Mudge, Carrick and Essie, of fields and rustic festivals, of the wonderful lake cities, of Great Pen Langoth, the Citadel, and the fishing quarter. Katak was cunning beyond measure. What if he somehow escaped his deep cave? What could Gom do about it? What did they expect of him? Panic stirred within him. Surely it took years to become a wizard? Do not be so anxious, Gom, Jastra said. Go back to Haga. Take your leave. And do not make it hard on her. You cannot know how deeply she loves you, or how proud she is of you, how much faith she has in you. Listen to her. She'll find you a mentor. Take him, study well, and remember that your world, my world, nay, all the seven realms may one day depend on the part that we each play. He raised his hand. Until we speak again, farewell. Mentor? Seven realms? Gom's head was reeling. Even so, he glanced around nervously. I'm to go back down there? Jastra's mouth twitched. I'll speed you. Ready? Wait. Gom pointed. You called the Tamarith the Tree of Life? Jastra nodded. Tamarith or Bayon? The Tree of Life out of Bayon. And this one is just like it? Indeed, it is a true Skion, as I said. A tree? That's all it is? Jastra's face became watchful. What do you mean, all? Gom hesitated, then jumped in. Before you arrived, I saw something else. Only for a second, but I saw it, I'm sure. The dark eyes gleamed. And what was that? A great glass column set with silver wires that hummed, and little bouncing spheres that sounded like bells, and, Gom pointed to the misty fountains, pools of bright blue flashing fire. The Spinrathan lord looked startled, even shocked. It was certainly most strange, 
Gon went on, pressing his advantage. But Jastra, recovering, only nodded, his face expressionless. Mist and light can play such tricks, he said. Time to go. Stand fast. Before he knew it, Gom's head began to turn. If not by stare, how would he go back, was his last conscious thought. Gom opened his eyes. He was curled up in the armchair before the stove. How he had gotten there, he couldn't remember. But then he reminded himself he hadn't really been away. Haga slumped opposite, eyes closed, lips parted. Mother, he called softly. She didn't move, or give any sign that she was aware. He leaned over the table that divided them, and the crystal sphere still glowing. Mother? Still no response. Gom glanced to the clustered windows, dark as ever, giving no idea how long they had been sitting there, or what time it was. Images of his journey came back like a remembered dream. Impressions of height, space, mist, the dizzy stare, and the tamarith, tree of life, crystal pillar that he was sure he hadn't been supposed to see. Hager must be there still, in that strange place, talking with Jastra, planning her departure. He eyed her bleakly. Why? He might never see her again, never, never. He turned away. The last of his lifelong resentment was gone. Until now, he'd still thought of her as all-powerful a magician puppeteer, pulling strings to make him dance. Whatever was happening, Harger was in its grip no less than he no more able than he to direct the outcome. Gom closed his eyes, saw her face on the stair, the shock, the distress, the concern for him. He mustn't show how much he minded. He must remember what Jastra had said about doing his part and how proud Harger was of him. When Hager came back to herself, she'd need him to be brave and understanding, a good, obedient son. A shiver seized him. The air was cold. The fire had burned low. He shifted in his chair, found that his left leg had gone quite numb under him. He stood, rubbed his calf, starting pins and needles up and down, then he raked the ashes, put more wood on the stove. Hager looked so peaceful, showing nothing of what must be going on between her and Jastra. Gom told himself that she wasn't having a pleasant time of it either. She'd been so looking forward to their work together in that room too. He leaned over, 
touched her cheek with the back of his fingers. Cold. He pulled her shawl about her shoulders, tucked the corners under her hands. Flames spurted from the new court wood. Fire crawled greedily over its surface, turning gold to black, exploding loud sparks up the chimney. Gom climbed into his own armchair and leaned back. Haga going away. He squeezed up his face, let out a tight, muffled sound, half misery, half pain. Then, pulling himself up, he folded his hands in his lap, fixed his eyes on his mother's small form, and waited for her to awake. Mm.